welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 745. A whore, I thought silently to myself. And a cheap and shameless whore to boot. I was glad I hadn't mentioned Tempe's desire to learn the loot to anyone. How ashamed he must have felt for such an innocent impulse. I thought of a young Tempe wanting to make music but never telling anyone because he knew it was dirty. It broke my heart. My face must have given away quite a bit because Vachette reached out to grip my hand gently. I know this is hard for you folk to understand. So much harder because you have never even entertained the possibility of thinking otherwise. Caution. I struggled with everything this implied. How do you get your news? I asked. With no troopers wandering from town to town, how do you keep in touch with the outside world? Vachette smirked a bit at this and made a gesture to the windswept landscape. Does this seem to be a place that concerns itself overmuch with the turning of the world? She dropped her arm. But it is not so bad as you think. Traveling peddlers are more welcome here than in most places. Tinkers doubly so. And we ourselves travel quite a bit. Those who take the red come and go, bringing news with them. She laid a reassuring hand on my shoulder. And occasionally a rare singer or musician will travel through. But they do not play for a whole town at once. They will visit a single family. Even then, they perform while sitting behind a screen, so they cannot be seen. You can tell an Adem musician, because when they travel, they carry their tall screens on their backs. Her mouth pursed a bit, but even these are not viewed in entirely favorable light. But even these are not viewed in an entirely favorable light. It is a valuable occupation, but not a respectable one. I relaxed a bit. The thought of a place where no performer was welcome struck me as profoundly wrong, sick even. But a place with strange customs I could understand. Adapting to fit your audience is common as changing costumes to the Edinburgh. Bashet continued, This is the way of things and you would do well to accept it sooner rather than later. I say this as a well-traveled woman. I have spent eight years among the barbarians. I have even listened to music in a group of people. She said this proudly with a defiant tilt to her head. I have done it more than once. Have you ever sung in public, I asked. Bachette's face went stony. That is not a polite question. To ask. She said stiffly. And you will make no friends with it here. All I mean, I said quickly, is that if you tried it, you might find it is nothing shameful. It is a great joy to everyone. Bashet gave me a severe look and made a hard gesture of refusal and finality. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. I think it's funny that as worldly and well-traveled as, as Vashet is, and as well as she's able to acclimate 
apparently to a lot of cultural norms she still can't bring herself to like get down with music she seems like you know she's i listen to music in public more than once she's like super proud of it and then quoth asks her have you ever sung in public and it's like asking her have you ever <laughs> and they spur- and shit like that like it's a she's like horrified and is like that's not cool man <laughs> yeah well it's it is such a like a a verisimilitudinous portrait of someone who thinks of themselves as culturally liberal, but who actually isn't, right? It's like if your aunt from a small town was like, oh, I went to the big city once and I went and saw a drag show and I didn't call them a slur or anything, you know? <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. She thinks like, she's open-minded because she's like, we have musicians and they're fine. Not for me, of course, but, yeah, you know. <laughs> like literally on the next page, she does something that I think a lot of real world people who aren't as progressive or tolerant as they think they are does. And we'll get to it on that page. But Vashet's attitude, I think is part of a broader theme that I talked about last time in this sequence where, you know, Rothfuss is doing a lot, a a lot with this like cultural taboo. First of all, uh, I think it's a good way to like, to emphasize the difference between their two cultures. Like, What's the best way to get that idea across really clearly and concisely? What in this culture is taboo that uh, someone from Quoth's culture would think is like really weird, right? Those are often the things that we fixate on about cultures that we're not familiar with or don't understand. Like you don't eat cows. That's bizarre. Cows are delicious, right? For example, right? Or like, you know, you, uh, you know, you have to like do this thing like five times a day. That's, that's wild. Um, Similarly, this is a completely normal thing to Quoth and to Vashet's culture, it is like verboten. Well, also Vashet, for all of uh, her like saying that like she's tried the things and she's very cultured and blah, blah, blah. She's not willing to just say, I haven't tried that because I don't think it's for me. Like it right. becomes like a how dare you suggest that i might do such a thing it's it's not about it like like she, it's like she cannot fathom that it it's not about whether or not she's like she personally did it the the point is that like like he's asking if she's had an experience the answer is no but she shouldn't be offended by it she can just say like it's not for me well jordana have you ever tried it. eating babies it's not for me <laughs> but it's okay but you, like you, but you it's think it would be okay if Jeremy and I so eat, a for me to eat a baby? <laughs> Look, right? That's you, cool and fine with if you? If you decided to eat a baby, I would tell you that it was illegal for a reason. Right. And, and that that's that what she's baby, telling both. That's what she's telling both. And, and that the thing that you're doing could hurt someone else. Right. And, and that's what she's telling both. If the thing that you're doing Quoth. is hurting someone else, then that's not okay. But the thing that Quoth is suggesting she do doesn't hurt anyone. Or, like, the thing that Quoth is suggesting that Vashet do doesn't hurt anyone else. As far as Quoth is concerned. Yeah, I, I think what's important about this is that... I mean, physically, it doesn't hurt anyone else. As far as Quoth is concerned... <laughs> How on like, earth would music physically hurt someone? <laughs> I don't know, but the ADM clearly do. Like, you're, you're, you're deliberately obfuscating my... They feel that it hurts my... someone emotionally. No, that's not what they're saying. We, there's well, no evidence of that one way or the other. 
And Jordana, yeah, not to get what? too crackpot about it, but there is some evidence that like the reason that they they keep music and expression away is is actually for like protection because they seem to take the Chandrian really really seriously. And, and before Nick, I know Nick, you have another point you want to bring up, but before I lose the train of my thought, I just want to say that the point of the tab of taboos like this is that they make complete sense to the person whose culture has the taboo, right? Like, uh, people who you believe that you like shouldn't eat. Uh, shellfish, you know, like if you, if you are a very observant Jew who keeps kosher, like the reason that you don't eat the foods that you don't eat is because God made it clear that that's not cool. That's all the like you don't need like a more justification than that. And of course, at the time it was written down, there actually was a a there was danger. A health it reason. would cause harm. Yeah, it yeah. could cause harm because if you're eating shellfish in the desert, chances are it's off, and you're going to yeah, die you're, horribly. You're, you're gonna have a bad, bad time. But also, if you told someone who keeps kosher, like, well, hold on, just like try this bacon. What's the harm? They are going to be offended because yeah, if you slip bacon into their casserole. It's like a horrible, you know, that they have violated a tenet of their religion. It's a great violation to do that, even though it causes no harm from your perspective. Yeah. And like famously, there was like a, a political crisis during the British Raj because they were making Muslim soldiers use guns that had lard rendered from pork fat in their bullets, which is like, that's a taboo in Islam. Like you're not supposed to have anything to do with, with pork and their soldiers like revolted because they their religious beliefs are being violated at that level. So that is the kind of like taboo we're dealing with here. And okay. the British Raj is actually a a salient connection to make because to go back to what you were saying, Jordana, about Vashit's attitude, despite being so well traveled, she does not have the attitude of it's okay if they do it, it's their thing. Her attitude throughout all of her travels is the ADM are superior our attitudes, our beliefs are the correct beliefs. She doesn't have any space in her mind for like budging, even, you know, despite being apparently the most cosmopolitan one that we've met and the one who is able to acclimate, she still fundamentally believes all these things. Her travels did not budge her in that. Yeah. Her concession to cosmopolitanism is like, I have endured this like horrible thing to be polite to these foreigners because I didn't want to show them how much better I was than them and how, how wrong they are. Yep. So, uh, Vashet, the ultra liberal. Yeah, exactly. She, she is like a shit lib. She is a Nancy Pelosi. A shit lib. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, I know that I've been taking up a lot of space, but I just want to, I want to bring it all back to, I think that the way that Rothfuss characterizes Vashet's attitude toward this taboo and Kvothe's genuine kind of like, you know, my God, that's so horrible. You can't just like enjoy a nice, you know, sing along with your family. Like that's really sad. That I think reflects a lot of real world attitudes towards these kinds of, uh, to us, irrational prejudices around, you know, gay people or around sex work. I think sex work is the most salient one because that's the one that Vashet directly, like that's how Vashet gets her point across to Quoth. Like this is as taboo to us as sex work is to you. Uh, and as and I, we learn on on the next page, it's like <laughs> there is a a morbid fascination with it. There is still a demand for it, even though it is kind of under the surface, much like sex work. I think exactly that, they have professional musicians, but you wouldn't like want to let every like they go to one house at a time and they're viewed with you know some suspicion and disdain because they're lowering themselves. Right, they are selling their bodies, selling yeah. their voices to other people. 
and uh, the carrying this their screens on their backs is kind of like a scarlet letter, right? Yeah, like, everyone knows when someone you see a walks into town. Coming. Yeah, there's like, oh, there's a musician, you know, hide your daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, hide your daughters. Yeah, I the the meta, the metaphor of sex work is probably the most direct one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jordana, when you're thinking about like attitudes, you know, the attitudes that your your mother might have, for example, towards musicians, just substitute musicians with sex workers, and you might get a clearer picture of uh, where Vashit's at, right? Yeah, I mean, and like I I think I don't like it. <laughs> well, there we go, right? Like. That well, that's one of the things that makes Vashit like an interesting, complex character. In many ways, she is like kind of sympathetic and fun, and like she's a good teacher to close. And then in other ways, you just you just wish she'd be more open minded. <laughs> sure, but don't we all know people like that in our lives? You know that I don't think that that makes her like a bad person or a bad character. I think that makes her a compelling and interesting character because she has she contains this... multitudes. Exactly, she has these contradictions and tensions. Very good. Well discussed. Um, I, I, I would, uh, I, um, I would say that I have no more notes. Well then, let us crack open the mailbag, unless Jeremy, your sputtering tells us that you have more to say. Ah, you know what? I think we've talked about it enough. I don't think I have anything that new to add. All right. Do we have a lot in the mailbag, or could we? We do have a lot in the mailbag, as you may have noticed. We, uh, in the name of expediency, we did not read letters the last few. Uh, episode so we've got quite a few in the mailbag chamber banging on the walls clamoring to get out hold the the door fast lest they overwhelm us (laughs) jordana use your body as a shield (laughs) while we escape (laughs) they have a cave troll i mean it would it does make sense that i'd be the one to fight the people escaping the mailbag seeing as i i uh I, I don't like the mailbag. Like not like like as a as a character concept, I don't like the mailbag. I, I enjoy mail from people. I just don't like the concept of the uh the the mailbag with eyes and a mouth. Jordana, is it gay to enjoy mail? What? Sounds pretty sus, dude. <laughs> Wait, if it's like um you know how when uh Jeremy sees literally anyone showing affection, he goes, gay. It's that kind of gay. <laughs> yeah. exactly (laughs) which i feel like is a positive thing so (laughs) that's right we're taking it back this letter is from zach who writes on a different theory hello page casters i'm writing for the third time now despite having not yet caught up because listening to your podcast has birthed a new theory in my mind that i think you will enjoy Unfortunately, it has also completely killed the theory that I teased at the end of my first email regarding whether or not tinkers are real. I have come to the conclusion that my pot was a tad too cracked, or to be more specific, too freely consumed. The long and short of that now-dead theory was that I found myself wondering if tinkers were Temerant's equivalent to a wizard did it, a storyteller's way of giving themselves to things of giving themselves the things that they need so that pedantic assholes won't interrupt the story and say, where did he get the knife from? Where did this horse go? etc. There would be room for the tinker who visits the Waystone near the beginning of Name of the Wind and the tinker punched by Crazy Martin in the Lightning Tree as much as there's room for stage magicians in our mundane world. Alas, having heard you read the tinker section of Wise Man's Fear has convinced me that actually Quoth just meets a traveling merchant who carries many wares, a thing which exists because Rothfuss says they do. No deeper meaning. Takes a hit from the blunt. Okay, but hear me out. Old Cobb is the not-dead-son cobbler from Tarbine. Bum-bum-bum! What? 
I've always uh, taken as read that Quoth spent a long time in the Fae, following whatever tragedy birthed Coat, whether to hide from the consequences or out of shame. I can't remember off the top of my head just how skewed the difference is between Fae and Time and Temerant, but I imagine his body's growth cycle has been thrown entirely out of whack by this experience, and thus people find pinning down his age to be difficult. What if, during the, say, ten years Temerant time he was away, the cobbler from Tarbeen, who so kindly gave away his not-dead son's old shoes to a red-headed homeless boy, went on to retire, having led a successful financial life under a trade everyone needs? Maybe he moves to a small farming town out in the middle of nowhere, a place where a storyteller is welcome, and boy does he have a story or two, having worked a customer-facing job all his life. He especially loves telling stories of Quoth, and has always held it in his heart that the red-headed homeless boy he gave his not-dead son's old shoes to was, in fact, little baby Quoth. Little did he know, the next time he crossed Quoth's path, death and demons were soon to follow. I don't know, maybe it's because the audiobook narrator uses the same voice for Cobb as he does for the cobbler. Maybe it's just me wondering what Cobb is short for, if maybe it's a description the same way Carter is. I have accepted it within my canon. Let me all know what you think. All the best. Signed, Zach. I mean, that is a cracked pot if ever I've heard one, but I kind of love it. It does follow the logic that they are, they're all kind of named after their, well, they're not all named after their jobs, but certainly Carter and, and Cobb being a cobbler kind of makes sense. I'm happy for you to hold this in your head if it makes you feel better about the cobbler whose son is absolutely dead. Yeah. <laughs> if if okay. it makes you feel like he had, he's having a better time of it, then uh, I don't, I'm, I'm as, as a As a proponent of Team Not Dead Son... I don't think the sun is dead, but I also think this is a crackpot theory. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not convinced, especially because like I, the cobbler that he gets the shoes from uh, in Tarbine has got to be like already in his fifties. So is it? It does. It doesn't seem likely that he would make a new life for himself as a hard scrabble farmer telling stories out in the middle of nowhere. You know, it just, uh, and how old would he have to be? <laughs> you know, That's people. why they call him Old Cobb. Yeah, but like, what's he, like 90? <laughs> like. The other thing, not to pick this apart too much, because I do think it's it's very nice and sweet, and I'm, I'm happy, <laughs> I'm happy that you found it, is that it makes the world a bit smaller. It's sort of, it's the Star Wars Skywalker problem. When everyone has a connection to everyone else, it makes the world feel really small and, um, and unverisimilitudinous and that you know this leads to a, a larger complaint about the way that um that transmedia worlds are run these days where everything has to be a reference to something else and you can no longer tell a self-contained story because everything has to set up or call back to something else it's like the the criticism of star wars that i think is valid and no i haven't seen andor so don't tell me that andor is good and doesn't do this but the criticism of, of recent star wars is that uh it isn't about anything. It's just endlessly self-referential. It's just remember this. This is remember this guy is here. Remember this thing that happened. Yeah, it's, it's your blurbos. Really, I mean, yeah, like, I have seen Andor, and 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 I kind of want to tell you that thing because Andor's not like any other Star Wars in I, that way. <laughs> I, I will say that Andor is the best thing they've done since the Last Jedi, and it doesn't do that. High praise indeed. All right, maybe I'll. I'm still. I'm still deeply wounded. I don't know if we talked about this on this the podcast, but I've I've been deeply, deeply wounded by Star Wars. And I will also say that like the first three episodes of Andor are a slog, as far as I'm concerned, and you just kind of have to suffer through them. But it does yeah, get it good after a bit that. Slow, but it really gets into it. All right, listeners. Just like this podcast, it started a bit slow, but you really got into it. So you can get into it a bit more tomorrow when we come back for another page of the. 
Will. Will.